What's good, everyone? G Money Stacks, aka Lonely Nomad, aka the Greginator, aka the Rookie of New York, and I want to talk to you about Anchor and my show. Anchor is a free hosting site and phone app which is owned by Spotify. It's the easiest, awesome way to make a podcast. Why are you wasting your money paying for a hosting site to promote your podcast with limited storages? Forget about it. I'll explain. There's creation tools that allow you to record, edit, monetize, add music intros, music outros, uploading episodes with unlimited storages of your podcast right from your phones, computers, laptops, and tablets. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Plus, you get sponsorships. It's everything you need to make a podcast, including the listeners supporting your show. That way, you can listen to the episodes of my show off the Meat Rat Change New York podcast, the unfiltered comedy show about the stories mixed with entertainment, music, real life segments, and much more. Now, where can you find, follow, and listen to the show, you ask? You can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram, which is off the Meat Rat Chains NY podcast, alongside with my Instagram handle, gmoneystacks555 in Queens, and Queens, New York. To spell it out is O-F-F-T-H-E-M-E-A-T-R-A-C-K-C-H-A-I-N-Z, N-Y-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, all in one word. Now, streaming platforms, in case you missed any of the episodes. We are on Anchor, Audio Burst, Breaker, Podorama, Listen Notes, Spotify, Stitcher, Deezer, Podchaser, Pocket Cast, Podcast Addict, Player FM, TuneIn, Google Podcasts. And please don't forget that Off the Meat Rat Change New York podcast is on Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and YouTube. If you have a dream of creating and becoming a podcaster like myself and individual friends that is co-hosting with me, go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Take advantage of the opportunity that's thrown in your face. If I could do it and reach success, so can you. Let's go.
Yes. Yes, 54321. What's going on, new listeners and current listeners from all around the world? And happy and happy summer to every single person from the USA, Canada. And welcome back, Long Island and and the five boroughs of New York. Includes Brooklyn, Bronx, Manhattan, Staten Island, and Queens. This is your host with the most, G Money Stacks, aka Lonely Nomad, aka the Greginator, aka Rookie Podcaster of Queens, New York. And you are now rocking with Off the Meat Rat Chains New York Podcast, episode 45. Not a joke. We made it this far, man. Ronald, we made it this far, man. Um, unfortunately, I'm still I'm still um waiting for a new laptop to come. Um, unfortunately, the one I was using previously has been out of commission. So I just ordered a new one just to let everybody know what's going on. So um Anyway, um, how about a round of applause for making it to 45 episodes? Now, in case you're wondering how was my weekend, my weekend was okay. I didn't really do too much. All I did was work which is not a bad thing. Um, although, although things will get better and better in a day-by-day price process. So um, without further ado, if you're new to the chat, the YouTube channel, and this is your first time listening to Off the Meat Rat Chains New York podcast for the first time and you missed any previous recorded episodes, don't worry, I got you. All you got to do is go to the YouTube channel, which is G Money Stacks 555. Be sure to enable alerts so you can be notified and reminded of when the show goes on the air live, along with upcoming live stream episodes, along with previous episodes. Be sure to like, leave a comment on the episodes with the topics that was discussed. Along along with tell a friend to tell a friend by spreading the word. And be sure to share the podcast along with all your streaming platforms, which I will go over at the end of the show. So here we go. Um now, in case you didn't know, our first segment of the day is called Chatting all the jazz. Here we go. In this week's chatting on the jazz, our first topic is going to be is going to be something very, very, very serious. And this has to do with a recent, recent um accident that went down in Florida. Um unfortunately, there has been a condo collapse that took place in Surfside, Florida. And along with 16 people have been um, considered 
killed. Yeah, it's pretty tragic. But I have an article that will clarify what I'm about to go into. So here we go. So this is from the New York Times. Um, Surfside, Florida, which is which is not too far from Miami, Florida, by the way, folks. Um, so article goes like this. Atop the grim pile of debris, a detriment and broken concrete on Monday, some of the world's most elite rescue crews tunneled and dug sometimes with their hands in hopes of finding hints of the living. As the afternoon dragged on, it appeared their hopes would be dashed for another day. But on an occasion, the workers would pause and bend down and collect what amounted to small, fragile consolation prices. The personal photos from the residents of the Chaplin Towers South a building that less than a week ago had been alive with a typically South Florida assemblage of families, grandparents, and retirees. Uh, Monday was the fifth day of the extensive search and rescue effort, and the, possi the possibility of finding alive any of the 150 people believed to be missing dwindled further. The pictures and a few other personal effects that somehow managed to survive and the collapse were at least something. There's not a lot, said Maggie Castro, a firefighter and paramedic for Miami Dade Fire Rescue and a rescue specialist for Florida Task Force One. One of the elite urban search and rescue teams that have been working on the rubble pile since Friday. Ms. Castro said most everything inside the building was destroyed when a significant portion shuttered and collapsed on itself early Thursday morning, which was recently. There have been some wallets, some pieces of jewelry, large larger picture frames we have identified to go back to them, she said. Um, okay. The, caref the careful effort to preserve at least some of the belongings of the people who had lived in the tower is one of many ways that rescue officials are acknowledging that the daunting and sometimes harrowing technical challenges they face are only part of their job. Starting on Sunday, officials began escorting families of the missing to the site to see close up an emergency response involving hundreds of rescue personnel. Some families have been frustrated and even angry with the slow pace of the rescue work. But Ms. Castro said she hoped the family's ability to see the magnitude of the disaster might help them understand why it is so slow going and perhaps help them process a reality that can still feel like a nightmare. 
The work on the site has gone slowly with no good news since a few rescues on Thursday. At Monday news conferences, officials announced that the death tally had risen by two to 11, which has been risen, as I said, been risen from 11 to 16 so far. So therefore, there's 16 fatalities. Um, so in quote, it's one thing to sit somewhere and imagine what is happening. And it's another thing to see it for yourself, she said. For some of them, this might be as close as they get to their families ever again. Officials have explained to families that having too many rescuers on the pile could collapse the narrow voice beneath and further hamper rescue efforts. The families have also seen firsthand the danger rescuers face. On Sunday, one search and rescue worker fell 25 feet down the mound in full of some family members. Oh, boy. Um, as agencies from every level government descended on Surfside, which is close to Miami, by the way, and began to outline the contours of an investigation about what went wrong. The White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said President Biden would support would support, excuse me, an expensive investigation into the disaster, spanning several federal agencies, including the Occupational Safety and Health Administration and the FBI. Okay, quote, certainly we want to play any constructive role we can play with federal resources and getting to the bottom of it and preventing it from happening in the future, Miss um, Saki said to reporters on Monday. Mayor Charles W. Burkett of Surfside insisted on Monday that officials would investigate the reasons for the collapse, but he said it was an issue for another day. For now, he said the priorities were searching for survivors and supporting the families of the dead and, and missing. Thunderstorms have complicated the rescue effort and more heavy rains blanketed the pile on Monday. When they let up, the carries and the mourning came to see the memorials that have cropped up on fences along the site. The area around partially collapsed building has been transformed from a mellow beachside um, idle to a place of flashing lights and constantly thrumming generators. Rescue workers have painted the floor numbers on the building in green with notations in orange indicating that searches have been completed there. At Monday morning's news conference, Ray Jadala, the assistant fire chief of operations for Miami-Dade Fire Rescue, was adamant that officials had not 
made the grim decision to end search and rescue operations and focus on the uncovering of remains. He also emphasized the complexity of the efforts. This was not a matter of lifting one floor after another to look for another survivors, he said, but of sorting through pulverized steel and digging through concrete boulders. In other areas, rescue, rescuers have come upon larger concrete areas that now require heavy machinery, a process that uncovered at least one, uh, one of the two bodies on Monday. The crew on the, the pile are using cameras to the narrow voice rescuers have not been able to reach. In some cases, they have been following faint sounds, but Chief Jada Dalla cautioned that this was not necessarily proof of survivors. Jada Dalla, yes. It could be a tap, could be a scratch. It may be no, it may be nothing to be exact. More than some of the metal that's contorting, he said. But he said all variables have to be considered before we make a decision to move to the next phase. <clears throat> the broader effort to clear the site and identify remains may take months based on similar efforts at collapsed buildings, according to experts. In the short run, using DNA provided by the family members to identify bodies takes about 90 minutes. But the medical examiner must also provide additional confirmation of the remains, a process that typically takes one day. By all accounts, the disaster has drawn some of the most talented and experienced search and rescue crews in the world. Some of the rescue teams include veterans of the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, where a few survivors were pulled from the rubble weeks after the main quake. They include Mexico's famed topos or moles, a volunteer unit and specially trained rescuers from the Israel Defense Forces. They have joined South Florida's own Urban Search and Rescue Unit, which is also one of the world's best. Leaders and members of, task, of Florida, excuse me, Florida Task Force One have trained and held exercises on building collapses at a unit unique Texas facility known as Disaster City. Ooh, interesting. Um, a training center with collapse, collapsible structures that simulates disaster scenes and that is operated by the Texas A&M Engineering Extension Service. It's 16 to 18 hours that they are spending working, said Jeff Saunders, the director of Texas A&M Task Force One. 
this particular part of the incident is the slowest pace and there's very little you can do to speed that pace up because it's all subterranean. Those South Florida emergency personnel are perhaps most experienced with responding to hurricanes. They have had experience working on structural collapses, Ms. Castro said. But those were not of this magnitude, Ms. Castro said. In quote, we certainly didn't see the number of potential casualties that we're going to see in this particular incident. It's really, really sad. In recent days, Ms. Castro, age 52, has been part of the team briefing the families on the progress of the search. She joined Miami-Dade Fire Rescue 17 years ago and right away tried to join Florida Task Force One. The requirements and entrance are so high that she had to wait until five years ago to join. By then, she already had seven years of technical rescue experience with the county during complicated vehicle extractions, road rescues, and other structural rescues. Being there for people at their worst time is something that is just a calling, she said. <clears throat> but helping people find solace has proved at times to be as difficult as finding survivors. On Monday, Mr. Burkett, the South Side, excuse me, Surfside mayor, to be exact, described talking with an 11 or 12 year old girl at the collapse site on Sunday night. He has seen her before and knew that one of her parents had been in the building. That night she was sitting home looking at her phone. <clears throat> she was reading a Jewish prayer to herself, sitting at the site by where one of her parents pres presumably is, Mr. Burker said. She wasn't crying. She was just lost. She didn't know what to do. Yeah, this is pretty, this is pretty hectic stuff. Um, um, yeah, I do feel bad for the people who, who have family members who are, who are dead, which is 16, 16 fatalities to be exact. And that's just, that's just, that's just, that's just plain, um, that's just plain sad right there. So I'm not going to stay too much on this. So our next topic has to do with, just give me a second. Oh, let's do Ice Cube. Hold on a minute. Um, okay. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> so here's how I'm going to set this up. So Ice Cube 
the rapper and owner of the Big Three Basketball League, is suing the producer Jinx for unpaid royalties. Man, hold on a minute. This deserves this sound right here. And I have I will get to why he's doing this in the complex article that I have right here. So um, Ice Cube has a legal battle on his hand with one of the closest collaborators. TMZ reported on Monday that producer Sir Jinx, <laughs> I can't believe that's his name, has filed a lawsuit against <laughs> Sorry, laughing. <laughs> Yo, filed a lawsuit against Q for unpaid royalties related to production work he's done for the rapper. According to legal documents, Jinx claims to have produced up to 28 songs for Ice Cube that were released dating back to Q's 1990 debut album, America's Most Wanted. Yet, it wasn't until 2019 that he re realized he wasn't getting the amount in royalties he deserved. Jinx claims that the lawsuit is his last option. He reported, he, excuse me, reportedly tried to reach out to Q to rectify the situation, but Jinx claims that Q refused to play ball. <laughs> Refusing to play ball, really? And you do your own artist like that? Come on, man. That's that's just playing crazy to me, man. Um, yeah, right, playing ball my ass. Hang on a second. I need to put up something. All right, um... Now he's asking a judge to award him damages that are more than, get this, $100,000. I repeat, $100,000. Okay, for his work on the classic tracks like No Vaseline, True to the Game, The Bomb, It's a Man's World, The Funeral, and more. Ice Cube, who famously left NWA due to mismanagement of funds, has not publicly responded to Jinx's lawsuit. <clears throat> However, a source close to the rapper told TMZ that the lawsuit is unnecessary since Cube has loaned Jinx money multiple times over the years that the producer has not paid back which I think is pretty foul, though, man. That's pretty foul, though. That 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 right there is pretty fucked up, though. But how do you... How you producer, right? And, and you screw music artists over... over money? Like, this, this right here... I hear stories like this all the fucking time. Like, you... Like, you mean to tell me... You mean to tell me that out of all things, you mean to tell me that producers nowadays don't pay their artists? 
Like, come on, man. That's right. That's just playing. That's just playing crazy right there, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just playing ridiculous right there. And I'm not going to really. Uh, and you wonder why. And you wonder why hip hop doesn't have a union. And I actually talked about this um, in a previous previous episode in regards to, you know, you know, having like people who are in the music industry, like it, it just seems it just seems like nobody seems to know that they're they're part of a union, whether it's a whether it's a company related to music or whatever. But it's like but it I feel sometimes, you know, record labels sometimes, you know, be screwing the artists over. Which is which is something I previously talked about. So um, anyway, anyway, I'm not going to stay on this for too long. So let's go to let's go to the next topic, which has to do with ooh, let's go to Lloyd Banks. We haven't heard from this. We haven't heard from this guy in a long time. So I can tell you this though, man. So, literally, I didn't even know that he had an album out right now, and I just fin- and I just finished listening to it. Um, and uh, and I and I gotta say, man, I am gonna do a review on the album since I already listened to it on Spotify already. Um, I will get I will get back to I will get back to it in a second. So anyway, um, so another complex article in regards to Lloyd Banks. Um, basically, the album is called The Course of the Ineditable, which is going to feature some artists, Styles P, Bane the Butcher, and, and more features. So... So before I read this article, um, I want to actually um, say something um, from what somebody told me um, on Instagram Live is that um, the reason sometimes, you know, you hear artists take a break from music is because, you know, whether they need time for themselves, whether they need time to concentrate on their mental health. But in this case, it has to do with the fact that he has suffered some he has suffered some losses in his life. That's why you haven't really heard from Lloyd Banks over the over the over the years because of because one of the songs he was talking about his grandmother or his grandfather. I'm not too sure to be exact, but for what someone told me, that's probably the case. And you know, it's kind of hard to concentrate on your music career when you have a loss losses in the family and alongside with friends. So I kind of get that because it's kind of happened to me multiple times. But you know something? But you know something? Um I kind of understand why life is so complicated. I mean it's not as simple as it seems. 
But I, let me get to the article, man. So, so according to the complex article right here, um, Junior and his prodigal son, Lloyd Banks, made his highly anticipated return on Friday with his new album, The Course of the Inevitable, which I listened to already. And I'm going to do a review on that on my other show, which I will talk about before I even mention my social media handles. So the new album boasts appearances from other than well-respected spitters like Styles P, Benny the Butcher, Freddie Gibbs, and more. These features are spread across 18 tracks produced by Chase and Cash, Dual, Output, and others. Oh, man. Um, okay. So Banks has been teasing the C-O-T-I acronym on his social media for a while, but it wasn't until he dropped the album's cover art starring his son, Christopher Lloyd III, that things started to feel real. This was paired with a trailer for the project that only added to the anticipation. Hmm. The course of the inevitable marks the end of a drought for Lloyd Banks fans. The album is his first project since 2016's Halloween Havoc 3, Four Days of Fury. It's also the rapper's first official studio album since HFM 2, which stands for The Hunger for More 2, dropped in 2010. But this hasn't stopped him from giving fans a few Lucy's. <laughs> Lucy's. <laughs> Lucy's like the track he delivered from Griselda's conflicted soundtrack element of surprise. You listen to Lloyd Brink's new album, The Course of the Inevitable, below via Spotify and Apple Music. Yes. Um, now I will I will talk about that in the review of my other show that I just previously premiered the first episode that I previously um, premiered the first episode already on my Twitch channel, which I will discuss that at the end. Um, I'm not going to discuss that right now, so I'm going to I'm going to go to the Actually, actually, better yet, um, I'll talk about that after I do Drake. All right. All right. So. So here's what happened with Billboard when it comes to Drake. So Drake accepts Artist of the Decade Award with Son Adonis at 2021 Billboard Music Awards. On Sunday night, May 23rd, which was um, two months ago, Drake accepted Billboard's Artist of the Decade Award at the 2021 Billboard Music Awards. Honored at the Microsoft Theater in Los Angeles, Drake's OVO team, along with his parents, presented him with the prestigious award. His manager, Future the Prince, had glowing praise for the self-proclaimed sixth guy labeling 
him as the most kind, selfish, gener generous person we know. And sorry about the, the, the cars and trucks and stuff. So I can't do nothing about that. So just bear with me. Um, after viewers watch a, mo a montage highlighting his lofty achievements, Drake shouted on stage with his son Adonis by his side. He presented him the award and then humbly discussed his journey to greatness. In quote, I'm ready I'm really so self-conscious about my music. And it, even if I do a good job, I always wonder how I could have done it better, he said. I rarely ever celebrate anything. And just for anyone watching this, wondering how this happened, that's really the answer. It's being so unsure how you are getting it done that you just kind of keep going in the hopes of figuring out the formula, end quote. He added, I know I've spent an in in, in incalculable amount of hours trying to analyze all the things that I've did wrong. But tonight for once, I'm sure as hell we did something right headlined by his nine nine number ones on the billboard 200 with his latest coming in 2019 care package drake's dominance began in 2010 with his debut album thank me later on the hot 100 side he banked numbers he banked six number ones during that span and shattered a bevy of charts records including the most hot 100 top 10s 45 to date and overall entries 231 drake's supremacy earned him the crown on billboard's top artists of 2010s chart in march drake became the first artist to enter the hot 100 chart at numbers one, two, and three simultaneously with what's next, leading the pack once the needs debuted at number two, while his Rick Ross assist, assisted track Lemon Pepper Freestyle landed at number three. The Billboard Awards are produced by Dick Clark Productions, which is owned by MRC, MRC, Pen, Penske, media are co-parent companies of the billboard so a round of applause for drake now um now what other topics that i wanted to do oh before I get to the before I get to how New York got the nickname "Seeing the Never Sleeps" and the Big Apple and stuff, I do want to talk about my um, my second show that I just premiered on Tuesday called the called Meticulous Vibe Juice Podcast, and basically it's a review show where where, where um, it's about 
the review of music artists, singers, rappers. Um, there's there's movies, there's TV shows. So it's kind of like it's kind of like a combination of um, old school and new school. And what makes it and what makes them a classic? What makes it um, what makes it lit? And also what makes it a masterpiece? So that's pretty much um, that's pretty much what this show is about. And the reason I created the second podcast is because um, I have a Twitch channel, which I will which I will um, discuss at the end. But um, what I will say is that you can catch Meticulous Vibe Juice podcast on Tuesdays at six. And on Sundays at 12 p.m. on the Twitch TV slash G Money Stacks, Queens, New York. So I want y'all to to check me out. So you can get an idea on learning about my personality and how I'm trying to get better with this with this hosting solo thing. So gradually i am trying to get better though man but it takes time and you know you can't rush the process though and speaking of speaking of um rushing the pro- rushing the process um i like to talk about how i was actually inspired i was inspired by a bunch of podcasters who i've been listening to lately and what made me want to do this is because, like I pre- like I just said, I have a Twitch channel, which I haven't used, and I made an account already. And now that I have, you know, not only two videos, one is an introduction, one is an introduction, and one is um the premiere of the first episode of the podcast on Twitch TV, which which I will repeat again. So. Um, let's go to how New York got the nickname, the city that never sleeps, um, the big apple and, and what else? Hang on a sec. I do want to actually hang on a minute, folks. I do have the article. Okay, here we go. Okay, here we go. Um, all right. All right, let me see. So let me see, let me see. I just want to get to the part on how I got the nickname. I just want to get to the part. Let me see. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I know I had I know I had it. All right, so let's see, how did, okay. Okay, how did New York get the nickname, the city that never sleeps? All right, here we go. 
Um, let's go to. Okay, we're gonna go to go to the histories behind these nicknames, man. Shall we? So this is from theculturetrip.com. So you guys probably gonna get an idea on how it got the nicknames and stuff. So let's just let's just get started. All right. <clears throat> it makes sense that a city as diverse as New York should be known by several different monikers. The home and muse of countless creators, the Big Apple or Gotham, the concrete jungle or the city that never sleeps, if you prefer, is constantly reinventing itself. Master the many monikers of Metropolis by learning the stories behind New York City's nicknames. Big Apple. While the term Big Apple dates as far as the 1870s, when Big Red Delicious Apples were regarded as the best variety of fruit, it wouldn't be linked to New York City until the 1920s. Cool. It was in New Orleans where New York horse race rider John J. Fitzgerald first heard African-American stable hands allude to New York's racing industry as the Big Apple Fitzgerald. A journalist for the New York Morning Telegraph would borrow the phrase for his sports column, which helped to popularize and connect it to New York City. Everyone from the 1930s, Harlem jazz musicians to the 1970s, New York Convention and Visitors Bureau President Charles Gillett would promote the moniker which remains the city's most popular nickname today. Concrete Jungle, that's it. This one is interesting to me. <laughs> wow. Concrete Jungle. Oh man. Yeah, let's get let's get to this shit. Um um possibly from Derive Uptown Sinclair's 1949 The Jungle in which the, he coined the phrase asphalt jungle. <laughs> the term concrete jungle has unclear origin. <laughs> oh, man. The first print to use of the phrase can be traced back to the British zoologist Desmond Morris, the human zoo, published in 1969. However, in this book, Morris doesn't write on New York specifically, but rather on cities in general. This use of concrete jungle as a universal descriptor of cities was repeated in Bob Marley's 1972 track of the same name. Did not know that. Wow. How New York City commandeered this term for itself remains unknown. But 2009's worldwide hit Empire State of Mind by Jay-Z solidified New York City's status as the premier concrete jungle. And now, how New York got the nickname The City That Never Sleeps, which I told my sister I was going to do it, and here I am. <laughs> All right, here we go. 
The roots of this New York City nickname can be found close to home. Manhattan's old, oldest thoroughfare, located near popular neighborhoods such as Soho, Chinatown, the Lower East Side, Melita, and Little Italy, the Bowery was considered the eye of New York City, prompting Jacob Rius to declare in his 1898 book, Out of Mulberry Street, stories of tenement life in New York City that the Bowery never sleeps. Some years later, in an article in the September 6, 1912 edition of Indiana's Fort Wayne Daily attributed the nickname to New York City as a whole. Finally, in 1979, Frank Sinatra would secure the city's status as the city that never sleeps. Wow. <laughs> yes, in his hit record, a cover of Liza Minnelli's original 1977 version, theme from New York, New York. Did not know Frank Sinatra made a song called The City Never Sleeps. That's interesting. <laughs> and now, Gotham. <laughs> Batman fans will be disappointed to learn that New York City's Gotham nickname actually dates back to long before the comics first used of the term in 1940. Before Bruce Wayne, there was Washington Irving, a writer who used Gotham the Anglo-Saxon term for goat town. <laughs> oh man, goat town. Wow, that's that's funny. <laughs> to refer to the New York City in 1807 sat satirical piece. Um some Salma Gandhi, and Salma Gandhi believed to be inspired by a folk tale entitled The Wise Men of Gotham. The citizens of Gotham pretend to be insane in order to deter an out-of-town visitor from coming to their village. Of course, New Yorkers embraced the moniker, considering it an, an allusion to their real life craftiness and perhaps their craziness. Metropolis. No affiliation to to the Superman shows. <laughs> Best known as the setting of the Superman comics. Metropolis isn't a confirmed representation of New York City. That doesn't stop fans from making connections between the fictional and real-world locations. However, though some find it difficult to reconcile this relationship with the other link between Gotham and New York City, comics legend Frank Miller clarified this concern and in doing so, endorsed the nickname by explaining Metropolis is New York in the daytime. Gotham City is New York at night. Interesting. That's very interesting right here.
Very interesting. Yeah. So, melting pot. And I really understood why New York was considered a melting pot in the first place. But but we're here to learn these things, man. So that's what I'm here for. So while many sources credit Israel Zangwill's 1908 play, The Melting Pot, with originate, originating term, a private journal entry from 1845 undermines this term though his remarks were eventually published in 1912. Ralph Waldo Emerson first used the phrase smelting pot. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> to refer to this culturally and racially mixed America in his personal diary more than 60 years ago, earlier. In 1893, historian Frederick Jackson Turner also referred to immigrants melting together to form a single cult American culture. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, folks. I need to laugh sometimes, man. It's actually good for the soul. Like, like if you don't laugh, like, you, you're not going to be, you're not going to be all right, though, man. Like, come on, man. It, like I said, like I said, man, like, you know, laughter is the best medicine. And, you know, we all need this. So, anyway, we all need this, though. Um, Okay. Naturally, an immigrant hub like New York City proudly adopted the term as its own. Wow. I never knew. I never knew that. That's that. That's crazy, right there, man. Never knew that. Um. So, yeah, let's talk about how resilient New York City is, huh? Um. Let's talk about how is New York City. Resilient. Let's talk about that. All right. Uh, what makes the city? What makes the city resilient? Okay, this is this is something I have to really. Okay. Okay. Now, resilient cities, right? It makes it okay. Um, if I'm not mistaken. This is for New York City, by the way. What makes it? What makes it so? Um. All right. Uh, what makes it what more resilient? Okay. Let me just. Let me just. Okay. Um, all right, all right, all right. Let me get to this. Is just um, hold on a second, folks. I'm trying to get more information about what makes New York City so resilient so I could, you know, get a better idea on, on what's 
What's so good? Okay. Here we go. Um, I think this article that I'm looking for is going to actually um, give you an idea of what makes it so resilient. So, actually, I didn't even know about this, but all right. So, this is from a Gotham Gazette.com website that I'm about to read to y'all. So let me just get 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 this started right here. All right, so let's let's do this. In October 2012, Hurricane Sandy killed 43 people and caused nearly 20 billion dollars in damages and lost productivity in New York City. While the city has not seen a storm of that scale in the nearly seven years since, climate change, sea level rise, and the dangers posed by major weather events have continued to accelerate. In the aftermath of Sandy, the city began to implement a number of programs to make the city more resilient or prepared for another Sandy caliber disaster. But elected officials, advocacy groups, and other experts say a sandy caliber storm would be nearly, if not just a devastating today as it was in 2012. The city and its partners at other levels of government have been far too slow to act and have not moved with requisite boldness in considering how to truly prepare the five boroughs with their 520 of coastline for the present and the future, they say. Projects behind schedule or on too long timelines. Federal money isn't being spent quickly enough by the city. There's no real plan guiding it, guiding it all. In other words, New York City is nowhere near as resilient as it needs to be, and it's not clear when the city might meet even a low bar of preparedness. As the seventh anniversary of Sandy's landfall in New York City nears, another round of evaluations, oversight hearings, and other discussions is kicking off. To many, what's been accomplished in terms of resiliency efforts is astonishingly limited given that it's been seven years and the lessons that were supposed to have been learned in the storm's aftermath. Some are calling on the city to drastically speed up its implementation of resiliency projects to protect the city's res residents and their property. While a new proposal would mandate the city's produce a fiber resiliency plan. Beyond the emergency response, the biggest questions from seven years ago remain the same today. What is actually being done to prepare New York City for the next big storm and the climate future? And what else should be done as quickly as possible? Where things stand, in June 2013, the year after the storm hit, the city introduced the New York City Special Initiative for Rebuilding and Resiliency a 19.5 billion program to reinforce disaster protocols and prevent damage from future climate events. 
The initiative sought to ensure that New York City is ready to withstand and emerge stronger from the impacts of climate change. <clears throat> According to Jamie Bavishi, director of the mayor's office of resiliency under Mayor de, excuse me, Mayor Bill de Blasio, who took office in January 2014. The city is especially concerned with climate change, including sea level rise, hurricanes, extreme precipitation, heat waves, and rising temperatures, according to a spokesperson for the mayor's office of resiliency. Global warming is an emergency and adapting quickly is an essential necessity. But Vichy said in a statement to Gotham Gazette, we're investing 20 billion across all five boroughs to help ensure that New York City is ready to withstand and emerge stronger from the impacts of climate change. Many of the city's goals are included in the one NYC plan, a comprehensive compilation of initiatives that include strategies to improve resiliency and address climate change. By the 2050s, one NYC estimates that the nearly 1 million residents who will live the expanded coastal flood pan will particularly will be particularly vulnerable to coastal flooding with sea levels expected to rise up to 30 inches, not including the effects of major weather events. High tides will cause flooding twice a day in some areas and permanent inundation in others, according to those projections. Despite agreement on the urgency of the threat, the city has not executed as much as talked about its plans for resiliency, said Eric Goldstein. New York Environment Director at the Natural Resources Defense Council, the SIRR, first released post Sandy by the Bloomberg administration in its final year and subsequently backed by the de Blasio administration, includes more than 250 separate projects and major coastal flood projection initiatives. Its focus is five especially vulnerable areas, the Brooklyn, Queens waterfront, the east and south shores of Staten Island, southeast Queens, excuse me, south, south Queens, south Brooklyn, and lower Manhattan. A good deal of work is in motion with dozens of projects completed and others moving ahead, but at an overall pace that is surprisingly slow to many the city has spent less than 54% of the $15 billion that has been funded from the city's $20 billion SIRR, according to a May report from city comptroller, Scott Stringer. Okay, quote, if another sandy caliber storm struck today, all roads lead to New York being completely shut down, said Brooklyn City Council Member Justin Brennan, chair of the 
Council Committee of Resiliency and Waterfronts at City and State New York's project, Protecting New York Summit on July 31st. Quote, my fear that if Sandy were to happen tomorrow, we see the same effect we saw almost seven years ago. That's what a lot of my constituents feel as well. Brennan has been surveying coastal areas of the city, including those in his southern Brooklyn district, and plans to hold multiple oversight hearings this fall. He told the Max and Murphy podcast earlier in July. Brennan also discussed the fact that he and city council member Costa um, Constantinidis, chair of the Committee on Environmental Protection, recently introduced a bill to mandate the mayoral um, administration create a fiber resiliency plan with certain specific guidelines. Um, <clears throat> you think that after the Rockaways Broad Channel in Southern Brooklyn went underwater in Sandy, we'd be in better shape, Brennan and Constantinids wrote in a recent joint opted discussing their bill and plans to assess post-Sandy efforts. <clears throat> the 500,000 New Yorkers who live along our shores have little more than some sandbags despite scientific models showing that sea levels will rise a foot over the next 30 years. The city's current efforts to become more resilient often called too piecemeal by Brennan. Constantinidas um, and others can be broken down into improved infrastructure, coastal defenses, and community preparedness. On the coast, the cities has reconstructed broadwalks, built dunes across beaches on Staten Island and the Rockaways. Rockaways <clears throat> and coordinated to place 4.2 million cubic yards of new sand on city beaches, according to a spokesperson from the mayor's office of resiliency. The city has intimately install flood protection measures at 40 sites, including those most impacted by Sandy, according to the spokesperson. However, these efforts are largely temporary. They are <clears throat> designed to mitigate flooding until permanent measures are designed and implemented. <clears throat> All right. In Lower Manhattan, the city has advanced the Lower Manhattan Coastal Resiliency Project, an approximately $500 million investment in flood risk reduction projects in the two bridges neighborhood, the Battery and Battery Park City, 
The plan is expected to cover 70% of the lower Manhattan shoreline, according to the city's one NYC plan. For the remaining 30% of the Manhattan shoreline, which includes the seaport and the financial district, a spokesperson for the mayor's office of resiliency told Gotham Gazette that a two-year master planning process is expected to be completed in 2021. <clears throat> in terms of creating more resilient infrastructure, the city has f focused efforts on upgrading building and zoning codes and investing $1 billion to improve the steam, electric, and natural gas distribution of, in, excuse me, infrastructure of Con Edison facilities. In the aftermath of Sandy, Con Ed agreed to compile a report assessing the effect of the city's changing climate on its electrical grid. The first chapter of the report on heat and humidity was due in 2014. Five years later, the chapter has not been delivered with a new deadline for the end of the year. And at a hearing last week discussing Con Ed's response to summer electrical blackouts. Speaker of the city council called Con Ed's public response inadequate and laughable. The city has also been working with federal partners, specifically emergency management to create a future flood risk map that can be to be incorporated into building and zoning codes. The city has also discussed plans to extend the shoreline of the financial district and South Street Seaport somewhere between 50 and 500 feet into the East River. Due to the current proximity of businesses to the shore, implementing land-based adaptation measures would be difficult. Bovici said, at the Protecting New York Summit on a panel alongside Brennan. Any land-based protection feature would have to go deep into the neighborhood, Bravisi said. Instead, the city is planning to build into the water. <clears throat> the city will not be able to complete all this project without funding and relies on the federal system to receive support for many of its projects, Avisi said at the summit. Funding is a challenge. We have a federal system that funds these kinds of projects in a very reactive way when we inherently want to take proactive action to address these challenges. We know are coming, Avisi said. Our actions will protect Lower Manhattan into the next century. We need the federal government to stand behind cities like New York to meet this crisis head on, de Blasio said in a March press release. However, <clears throat> as the city moves ahead with efforts to fortify parts of Manhattan, many have been cr critical of its work to prevent flooding in the other boroughs, arguing that their risk remains as high as when Sandy hit in 2012. My goal with the resiliency and waterfronts 
committee is to work with the city to make sure folks in the outer boroughs see what the city is working on in their area. Brennan said at the city and state event. <clears throat> that the city is focused on them as well, not just Lower Manhattan. New Yorkers deserve a map of resiliency plan that protects every community instead of a single neighborhood, Constantinidis said in a June press release announcing the Favreau resiliency plan legislation. He and Brennan were introducing and referencing what some see as the overfocus on Lower Manhattan. However, City administration officials maintain that they are working equally hard to bring resiliency to the other boroughs in addition to Manhattan. <clears throat> officials point to efforts to bring dunes to the Rockaways and the importation of sand to the city's beaches. But Brandon and others pan the sand measures as something that might have made sense in 2013 or 2014, but not seven years after Sandy, when stronger and more permanent resilient measures should either be in place or close to it. Okay, um, let me see. All right, um, I ain't gonna read all this. You can read all this on your own at GothamGazette.com. Now, um, I will say, I will say this though: uh, what New York is, and what is what makes it so resilient. And as a proud New Yorker who is from Queens, New York, by the way, um, I would say what makes New York so resilient is, you know, the difficult challenges. As I was reading, as I was reading to you guys about the whole idea on how it was able to survive um, the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy. And also what makes it so resilient is that we don't give up, especially especially um, when it comes to things to do. Like, you know, we have, like New York has the best foods. All right, <laughs> New York has the best foods, the amusement parks, the performance venues, sports events, parties. I mean, you just name it though. And and that's what makes me that's what makes me so proud of New York though. Even though there's been some there's been some, you know, difficult challenges that they had to face, but at the end of the day, they didn't give up without a fight. And that's what and that's what makes New York so proud. And that's why it got the nicknames the Big Apple, the city that never sleeps, Concrete Jungle, which I couldn't believe, um, and along with other nicknames. And that's basically that's basically how I feel about that. And and speaking of which, I want to do a dedication. I want to do a dedication segment to a to the people who created a clothing line and and this is going to be a segment called 
the black-owned shout-out trendsetters. The black-owned shout-out trendsetters. All right, that's what it's called. So let's let's do a double air horn for this segment right here for the black-owned trendsetter shout-out trendsetters. In this segment of Black-owned shout-out trendsetters goes to the people in Lunch Money. And hang on a sec. And I do have this. Hang on a minute. Now, now the people from now the people from Lunch Money they have they have um clothing lines and stuff. This is the this is their clothing line. They have. They have about everything. They have your T-shirts, their hoodies, sweatsuits, limited editions, sweatpants, and season two, season two, whatever that is. So I'm just going to click on it. And this is a lunch money game time. And now their coding line is called lunch money 87. Now, now they have your pink diamonds, fluorescent diamonds, red diamonds, neon dejanura hoodie. They have hats, bling for champions, shorts, Mickey Trucker. <laughs> uh, man, Starbucks cash money, bling black hoodie, champion. You just name it, man. And they also have the baseball cap to go along with it, though. Now, if you would like to know more and if you'd like to purchase and you would like to purchase your your clothing, your clothing from Lunch Money 87, all you got to do is go to their website. And the website is Lunch Money Brand 87. Um, if I get this right, Lunch Money Brand 87 bigcartel.bigcartel.com that's lunchmoneybrand87.bigcartel.com all right and and that was your segment of black owned transcendent shoutouts if you would like to be added to the segment whether you whether you have a business or whatever product brand you want you want to shout out it's all free free of charge all you got all you got to do is let me let me know in my instagram with which is gmoneystacks555 in queens new york or you can even go to the um the podcast page off the meat rat change new york podcast to dm your um your um your business what your product is and what it's about what's your story all that is welcome, free of charge, all right? And speaking of free of charge, um, I would like to actually go over um the <laughs> I gotta be live with something else, man. <laughs> um so 
I like to go over. I like to go over something. Actually, if you like what you heard, feel free to show some love by making a donation to support the podcast. You can you can either go to um, my PayPal, which is paypal.me slash gmoneystacks Queens New York. And another another way you could do that is my cash app, which is dollar sign G Money Stacks 555. That's dollar sign G M O N E Y S T A C K Z 555. Now, any amount that you donate to will be appreciated. It's not a matter of breaking the bank. It's all about what you can do to afford. That's what matters. And now for the the streaming platforms on the go where you can listen to episodes. Now before I even get to that, let's go to the uh, let's go to the part about um, where you can follow the podcast. Now the podcast is going to be on Facebook which is the same name as it is on Instagram, Off the Meat Red Chains and Y Podcast. Alongside with my um my Instagram handle, which is G Money Stacks 555 in Queens, New York. And also you can follow my um my other podcast page, which is Meticulous Vibe Juice Podcast, which is going to be on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. And on Sundays at 12 p.m. on my Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash gmoneystacks, Queens, New York. And for this podcast right here, it's on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. I know I haven't been able to record on Saturdays because of my work schedule. So, So just to let you know. Off the Meat Rat Chains New York podcast is going to be on Wednesdays, Thursdays at 6 p.m. And Saturdays at 7 p.m. I had to do this episode a little early because I'm still waiting on a new laptop with the other one out of commission. I'm doing this from a tablet, which hopefully might be the last time I'm going to actually do this on a tablet. So, um... So I will go over um, where you can listen to the the podcast. All right. Um, now, where you can listen to the episodes of Off the Meat Right Change New York podcast is on Anchor, Audio Burst, Breaker, Deezer, Listen Notes, Play FM, Pocket Cast, Podcast Addict. Podorama, Podchaser, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Podcasts. And don't forget, I did add two of the of the um other streaming platforms in the link tree, which is Podbay, Podfriend. And don't forget that we're also on Amazon Music, we're on iHeartRadio, and the YouTube. And now, um, before I wrap up here, I'd like to 
always want to say something motivating and inspiring. So let me just let me just get that out the way. Let's go to where I can actually. All right. So let me just start off by saying this. If you have a dream of being a podcaster or you want to create one like I'm doing like I'm doing right now. Don't let anybody don't let anybody stop you, because at the end of the day, you don't have time. You don't have time for clown burgers, man. And do you know what you do with clown burgers? You eat them up like this. And don't let anybody try to ruin your dreams of what you're trying to do. So basically, um, if I can empower somebody on, on how to be inspired, it's based on it's based on your confidence, it's based on your instincts. And basically, this is what it's all about. It's about inspiring one another. It's not about competition. It's not about it's not about going against each other. Look, I'll say this though. I'm never I'm not gonna let the whole idea of success, you know, get the best of me. Because at the end of the day, that's not that's not basically who I am as a person. But although I have to actually wrap up here, so I'd like to say thank you for listening to episode 45. Even though I had to put it a little early because I had to, I'm still waiting on the new laptop that I just ordered. So hopefully I don't have to use the tablet to record. So I'd like to say thank you to every new listener and current listener out there that's been tuning in to Off the Meat Rat Chains New York podcast, 45 episodes in the books. All right. So Give a round of applause for 45 episodes in the book, shall we? And I'll throw some explosions too, man, for reaching that high. Come, we're almost we're almost near 50. We're almost near 50 episodes. So just bear with us. So this deserves an explosion bomb right here. And another one. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening, tuning in, rocking with me, even though everybody's doing their own thing. I like to make sure that they're doing good. I don't want to be a burden to anybody that's that's trying to do well with their careers and stuff. So it really mean a lot to me if I didn't be a burden to nobody. So, you know what I'm saying? Um, anyway, this is G Money Stacks clocking out right now, man. 
and I appreciate every single new listener and current listener out there that's been that's been rocking with me and not giving up on me. So I'm gonna be out of here. Peace and one love. Listen, if you like what you heard, all you got to do is follow the podcast, comment about the topics and what you thought about the episodes of Off the Meat Rat Chains New York podcast on Facebook and Instagram so you can be a part of the discussions for each topic every week. Plus, if you would like to be a guest co-host to chime in on topics, topic ideas, interviews, whether you are a rapper, singer, Black-owned trendsetter that has a business, producer, actor, actress, doctor, DJ, VJ, radio personality, podcast host, other career fields, need advice that you want us to read on the air like a chain letter about anything, you can email the show at Off the Meat Rat Chains NY Podcast at gmail.com o-f-f-t-h-e-m-e-a-t-r-a-c-k-c-h-a-i-n-z n-y-p-o-d-c-a-s-t at gmail.com now where you can follow us is on facebook and instagram which is all in one word which is off the meat rat chains NY podcast alongside with my Instagram handle G money stacks 555 in Queens, New York. That's G M O N E Y S T A C K Z five, five, five I N Q U E E N S N Y. That's G Money Stacks 555 in Queens, New York. Now, in case you miss any of the episodes, don't worry. I got you. You can download your favorite episodes, like, subscribe, show the podcast some love with a five-star rating. We show our realness as far as the subjects being discussed in the conversations we have in each episode of the podcast inspire motivate sense of humor 
is an important key here because I believe laughter is the best medicine when it comes to dark times. We want the show to be the safety net of putting a smile on your faces, whether it's having bad days, losses of loved ones, work, and other difficult challenges. The show will be there for you no matter what you are going through. You are not alone in this case. Be sure to comment on the episodes with the topics, share the podcast and streaming platforms of of Anchor, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Breaker, Deezer, Pocket Cast, Podchaser, Listen Notes, Player FM, Podorama, Podcast Addict, Google Podcasts, Audio Burst, and don't forget, you can find Off the Meat Rat Chains New York podcast on Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and the YouTube. Plus, don't forget to subscribe to the channel page, G Money Stats 555. Click on the notification bell so you can be reminded of when Off the Meat Rat Chains New York podcast goes on the air live, upcoming live stream episodes, previous recorded episodes, like, Comment on the episodes with the topics, share the podcast, including the streaming services with your friends. I'm Gene Money Stacks, and thank you all for listening, tuning in, sticking around with us and watching us on YouTube. And let's keep the views going and the subscribers going on the YouTube. Thank you. One love.